Blog Talk Radio. Welcome. You're listening to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio with your host, Darren Batman McDuck. And now, prepare to get fat. Hey, 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 what's cracking? Welcome back to another episode of Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio, also known as Fat Man Radio. I am your host, Darren McDuffie. Got another power-packed show for you tonight. We're actually going to be talking with Amy Raup, who wrote the book, Yes, You Can Get Pregnant. Waiting on Amy to call in. She's actually going to Skype in, but so I'm waiting on her to do that. But before we get to introducing Amy and getting her on, just wanted to share with you what I did this week, um, kind of impromptu, something that came up that I had no idea was going to come up, and that was the uh, lecture we had, a lecture here in South Florida where I live. There was uh, Josh Rubin. Um, I think Josh wrote The Maker's Diet, and then also Dr. Joseph Marcola, who was someone I followed way back when. I would always go to his website and just look different things up. And I followed him since about 2005, maybe 2006. And both of them gave really incredible uh, lectures on some of the things that they were doing and also um, some of the things that are going on now. And to my surprise, there was a ton of people there. So there's a lot of people who are interested in getting healthy, especially here in South Florida. And I'm imagining that that is all over the world. So, um, again, there's people that are really into their health, this thing is, is catching on, on and more and more people are, are getting uh, concerned about their health. If you are out there and you are listening to the show on iTunes, you might be listening to it live right now. If you're listening to on iTunes, please do me a big favor and go and rate the show and give it a review. That'll help me get up in the iTunes ratings, get more and more people to listen to the show. So if you're out there and you are an avid listener of the show, I would would love for you to do that and help me out a little bit. If you're not connecting me on social media, please do so. I'm on Twitter as the fat, and that's underscore man. So the fat underscore man, and then I'm also on Facebook as Facebook uh, slash Fat Man Radio Show, and that's fat with a ph. And I believe I'm on. Um, Pinterest as well. I don't know how many people use Pinterest, but I use that to pin different things. And I'm the fat man one on there, the number one. So you can find me on uh, Pinterest as well. If you were listening to the show last week, had a really good time interviewing Jimmy Moore on his book, The Ketogenic Diet. We had Jimmy Moore on uh, previously for Cholesterol Clarity. And his new book is called actually Keto Clarity. And I, and I think he's said he was going to do something called Fasting Clarity, but keto, the ketogenic diet is really catching on. Matter of fact, I just mentioned that I saw Joseph Mercola speak Tuesday, and he was a big advocate for the ketogenic diet. And I'm, I was sitting in the audience thinking, wow, I just discussed this with Jimmy Moore on Monday, and now Dr. Mercola is talking about the uh, ketogenic diet. So without further ado, I think this is Amy in the uh, the switchboard now, so let me bring her on. Amy Rout, welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. Hi, hey, Darren. Amy. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm great. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you okay. I can hear you okay. Right. I, 
I emailed you uh, late uh, this afternoon. I was like, I hope I didn't jinx the whole Skype thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> but your, no, your I Skype think we're good. Connection sounds great. I know um, uh, sometimes people will call in through Skype and the, and the call will drop, but I'm not going to say I'm not even going to put that in the, in the universe. Yeah, and, exactly. That's just everything's going good, and I, I used Skype like three times today, and it works way great. So let's just you know <laughs> stay yeah, on it. Just, Let's keep it out of the universe. And, Amy, I forgot to print off your bio, so I'm going to ask you um, the question that I normally ask people when I forget to print out their bio, and that is how did you get started in uh, health and wellness? Well, I started out as a college student, you know, studying biology and chemistry and always had an interest in science, and that led me to neuroscience and I was studying uh, neuroscience at the master's level, and that actually led me to acupuncture. I got a little frustrated with Western medicine and kind of how they compartmentalize things. I was researching Alzheimer's disease and, and just kept getting hung up on the idea that there had to be more to it than just, you know, these little plaques that were forming in the brain, that there had to be, you know, diet and lifestyle. And and then you know, as as luck would have it, you know, I do believe there are no coincidences in life, but I was led to acupuncture, and I never looked back, and I started, you know, I went into acupuncture school when I was, I think, 24, and so I've been out since I was 29, I've been practicing, I'm 41 now, so 11 years, almost 12 years, um, and focusing on women's health and wellness. So it's been a lifelong thing. I worked in a health food store when I was in high school. You know, my mother owned a gym, so I guess I've just always been interested in health and wellness and uh, made a career out of it, which I'm very grateful for. So um, did you get into dealing with fertility issues out of um, necessity, or was it because women kept coming to you with this the same Yeah, no, it's just, you know, like they say, you know, you you treat what shows up and and it just kept showing up and and I think my strong scientific background really helped you know with this type of condition if you will because uh, you know I I do I Chinese medicine is very subjective and with with fertility there's an objective end result you know there there is an obvious you know either pregnant or you're not and and there's hormone levels that you know, shift, and so I could gauge that. So I think I also got very fascinated with it, and mm-hmm. then it kept coming to me. Yeah. I I love your book because um, I thank you. Every every Friday I go to a spiritual meeting here in Fort Lauderdale where I live, and we study the uh, principles of Abraham uh, Abraham Hicks. Oh, I'm a huge Abraham uh, fan. Yes. I knew As you that. Probably when tell, I, yeah. I, yeah, when I was reading your book, I was book, listening like, to Abraham this earlier today. <laughs> I was I was uh, reading a book and I said this sounds eerily similar to Abraham the Abraham Hicks uh, teaching as I'm going through there I'm like yes. I, I wanted to ask you were you a follower of Abraham Hicks and you uh, actually answered yes. that so I'm I'm big on that too so we have that in common yeah so, uh, I've been following Abe for you know probably eight years seven years eight years I think I've been an Abraham uh, follower you know and and diligent student and I love I love their teachings. Yeah, I started like two years ago, and I I can't get enough of it. Out of this yeah, I know it's addicting. It, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's addicting, and it actually improves your life. It's improved my life a, a great deal. I can't say enough good. about it. But oh, bravo, with, good for you. With your um book, I wanted to kind of start 
from maybe I think maybe the last chapter or the first to the last chapter of the book where you actually give some of the reasons why women might be having fertility issues. And, and just in case, I know when people write books, they don't always remember everything. But I wanted to talk uh, about those four things. And the, the first one would be the ovulation dysfunction, the second mm-hmm. the anatomical problems, and then endometriosis, and then the immunological um, problems. So if you can kind of give us a short synopsis on all four. And if you forget them, just let me know, and I'll just tell you what they are again. Yeah, I don't even have a coffee in the house. It's kind of funny. Um, and I'm doing this online coaching now for fertility clients. And so I do reference the book quite a bit. And I had a coaching class last night. I didn't have a copy of the book. So it's quite funny. But I do know that pretty well. That's um, a really important chapter. And so they, I think the statistic is it's about 60 to 70% of all fertility challenges. I don't use the word infertility because I think it's extremely negative. So I use fertility challenges uh, instead, but they say that around 70% are due to ovulation disorders. So basically a woman isn't ovulating at the right time, or maybe her body is having challenges ovulating, or maybe she's not ovulating at all. Uh, Most often it's due to a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, which basically means that there's just um, a lot of a lot of follicles on the ovary, and so it weighs down the ovary, if you will, and it can't actually effectively ovulate. We have to ovulate in order to get pregnant, right, because ovulation is when a follicle ruptures out of the ovary and an egg comes out of that, and then the sperm fertilizes that, and then hopefully they swim up the um, fallopian tubes and and implant into the uterus, and then we get pregnant. So, yes, there's ovulation disorders, which are one of the most common causes of of fertility challenges. Then there are structural disorders such as blocked fallopian tubes, which again, even if you were ovulating, then then the sperm and egg couldn't actually meet. Um, there are some other things too, like endometriosis cause some structural issues. There could be, you know, problems with the shape of the uterus. Um, there could be, you know, again, further problems with the fallopian tubes that maybe they're not just blocked, but they have some kind of in, uh, septic. Uh, fluid inside of them, so so that's one of the issues. That's a pretty that accounts for a pretty small part of of what goes on with fertility challenges. Um, endometriosis is another really common disorder, which is basically the endometrial lining, which forms the uterine lining that that we shed each month when we get a period, and we don't shed it if we are pregnant because it's what actually basks the the embryo in blood to help it grow and and flourish. Um, But that endometrial lining, endometriosis, actually grows outside of the uterus on other organs, and often it grows on the ovaries and the fallopian tubes, and it, it responds to estrogen in the body and can cause clots and all sorts of... It almost looks like cobwebs, if you could picture that, and it kind of covers certain organs, and because it responds to estrogen, it, it ebbs and flows in, um, in severity throughout the month. But it can definitely prevent either ovulation or it can cause structural impedances. And so sperm and egg can't meet or they can't fertilize. just causes a lot of inflammation in the body, basically. And then, then there are, like, autoimmune conditions. But I would like to also add that both polycystic ovarian syndrome, so that's the one that causes the ovulation dysfunction, and endometriosis also have autoimmune um, 
what would you say, like, a, you know, a core of autoimmune issues. So now more and more science is showing that these are actually autoimmune disorders as well. So then we get into the autoimmune issues. There, there could be a host of autoimmune issues. I didn't go into a lot of them because they can get real, real fine detail, but one of them for sure that comes up a lot in my clinic is, is an autoimmune um, hypothyroid uh, disorder. So whether you're hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism, but you basically have thyroid antibodies. And when you have thyroid antibodies in your body, you know, the rule of thumb with autoimmune disorders, if you have one, you probably have actually three. You never really just have one. And so I've come to the conclusion after 11 years of practice and and writing, yes, you can get pregnant, that all of this unexplained infertility, um, and I use that word in quotes because I I don't like the word, but all of that unexplained infertility that, you know, I think it's it's a large percentage of of the population that's walking around that is having challenging getting pregnant is actually autoimmune related. And so what that means is that your body has antibodies. So autoimmune thyroid disease means that your body actually antibodies to your actual, your thyroid organ, and it attacks it, even though it's not a foreign substance. So antibodies are supposed to attack things that are foreign. But for some reason, the the immune system gets set off and it starts attacking things that are not foreign. And so when that happens, you attack your thyroid and you cause thyroid disorder, and that can disrupt all hormones across the board. So that can definitely lend itself to fertility issues. But just autoimmune issues in, in general, you could have autoimmunity to your ovaries, to sperm, to your follicle, to your uterus, um, you know. And so, so my approach is I just kind of assume that most every woman has some type of autoimmune issue going on in her body, and that's kind of what my diet is set up to do is to really lower autoimmunity, and that really rebalances the body and makes it more hospitable and likely to get pregnant. Yeah. There was one other thing I wanted you to kind of explain a little bit more to me because actually when I read it, I felt as though I was picking it up, but then I was kind of unsure. And that was, you mentioned polycystic ovarian syndrome, but there was another condition on there called premature POA. Oh, ovarian aging, yes. Yeah, yeah. So how, how what what does that involve? Basically, um, that the ovaries, right, so we, as women, we are born, supposedly, there's some science against this now, but the general consensus is we are born with all the eggs we're ever going to have, right? So we, in utero, as, a, as a, a little baby girl developing in their mother's belly, they start developing um, follicles in their ovaries, and <clears throat> that that supply, you know, never accumulates, it never adds to, right? It just only diminishes through the rest of your life. And so that's the argument with ovarian reserve, like, doctors will say, oh, well, as you get older, your ovarian reserve gets lower, right? And so you have to be concerned because that then limits your chances to get pregnant because you have less eggs left, basically. And so with premature ovarian aging, it's a woman who maybe isn't, so doctors in the Western field will say anything over, any woman over the age of 35, her ovarian reserve becomes a concern. And so premature ovarian aging is actually a woman, say, younger than 35, and her ovarian reserve diminishes significantly, or she's significantly diminished for unknown reasons. And 
there is some research now that's showing there's actual antibodies in the body to the ovaries, and it attacks the ovaries, and so it kind of kills off the reserve or the supply. But on that note, I would also add in, I in my clinic, I don't really pay attention to things like ovarian reserve or premature ovarian aging because even when our reserve is low, we're still talking about a couple hundred to a couple thousand eggs that are still left. Mm-hmm. So my focus is we can improve the quality of those eggs. So I don't really care about quantity. I only care about quality. Um, so that's just a, a point to add in there. Yeah. And I wanted to go back to endometriosis because my understanding of endometriosis and what I saw and researched was that it was like an estrogen-dominant disease. And then Uh reading your book, it kind of changed my viewpoint a little because they're now saying that it could be uh, autoimmune or linked to autoimmune. Is that that fair? Fair assumption? That's a fair assumption. I think it's both, right? I think um, most hormonal disorders, though, are estrogen dominant. I think as a society, we're walking around with a lot of estrogen dominance because pesticides in non-organic food contain xenoestrogens, which basically mean that they, their hormones are chemicals that act like estrogen in the body, so they mimic estrogen. Then if you're eating um, commercially raised animal products, and I do recommend eating animal protein, but only from grass-fed sources, but if you're eating commercially raised animal protein, they're pumped with hormones, and so they're estrogen dominant, so then you're eating them and you get more estrogen dominant. Then you have to think about our beauty um, and skincare products. Those all contain toxic chemicals that most of them commercially, uh, you know, most of the commercial ones, uh, contain toxic chemicals that also are endocrine disruptors and lead to estrogen dominance. So there's definitely that issue. And, I, and you know, my approach is always to clean that up immediately, you know, so get rid of the excess estrogen in the body. But then you also have to think about this autoimmune factor because, and whether or not, you know, I think it's um, arguable that estrogen dominance might actually trigger autoimmunity, Um and there's some research going on in that, but that I think they're somewhat, I think they're definitely linked, right? Because we see these estrogen dominant diseases, even say, you know, an estrogen dominant breast cancer, you know, cancer is definitely an autoimmune dysfunction, right? The body's all of a sudden there's normal cells that just start acting totally wonk, you know? And, and so it sets off this whole pathway of, of self-attacking self basically. Um, so, but with endometriosis, there's definitely a link now that, there's an autoimmune condition, you know, and and there's these things called natural killer cells, which you might have heard of. Endometriosis mm-hmm. girls tend to have a very high level of natural killer cells. They're part of our immune system, and those natural killer cells kill anything that they think is foreign in the body. And so girls with endometriosis have a really challenging time getting pregnant because the natural killer cell count is so high that even if an egg and sperm fertilized and made an embryo, the body will just kill it off. So even if it implanted, you'll you'll have a miscarriage. So often, you know, if I see a girl who's had more than one miscarriage, um, I send her for a complete autoimmune panel because chances are the, the second you have a second miscarriage in a row, for sure there's an autoimmune issue going on. Um, at least yeah. that's, you know, my, my clinical experience. And, and the, you know, I, I know I work with doctors in, in Manhattan that, that totally agree with um, with that, that synopsis. Yeah, I was... Uh 
from reading the book, I was um, slightly surprised that you said that miscarriages are common. But you're saying that if it's more than one, then that's definitely linked to some kind of autoimmune issue. Yeah. You know, miscarriages are common. Women don't talk about them that much, you know, which I think is unfortunate, and I'm hoping that the tides change on that. Um, But one miscarriage before then conceiving again and, and carrying to term yeah, can happen. I think it's like 30% of pregnancies end in miscarriage, so it's fairly common. But the second I have a patient have a second, a consecutive miscarriage, I flag it immediately. And I didn't know, you know, five, six years ago I probably didn't, but now after writing the book and just doing my own research and seeing, um, you know, all the different doctors out there and, and who, who believes in what, um most of the time, I'd say nine out of ten times or 9.5 out of ten times, those women have some type of autoimmune issue, whether it's a, they're called clotting factor issues, which is basically your blood doesn't clot the right way, and so that can cause a miscarriage, which is also it falls under an autoimmune condition, or it could be like the natural killer cells like I was talking about. There could just be antibodies to, you know, egg or sperm or, you know, to an embryo. There, there's all sorts of of autoimmune conditions that can go on. Uh, I couldn't wait to ask you this question just simply because um, I had a cousin who had her first baby at 50 years old. Oh, my How, gosh. Good yeah. for her. How, well, listen, where is it? Like, go ahead. Sorry, ask your question. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, is that normal or abnormal? or? That's, well, they say that in industrialized you know, countries, which we are one of them, that mm-hmm. is abnormal for sure. Usually I see, I've had one woman at 49 get pregnant. She, um, it was her own egg, but they did do IVF. So it wasn't a natural pregnancy. My oldest natural pregnancy is 46. Um, but in certain like African villages or certain unindustrialized countries, women continue to get pregnant into their late 40s and 50s, yes. Um, I think our society, the way we live our life, our levels of stress, our detachment from nature, our processed foods, our toxic bath and beauty products, all of that really ages us quicker. So so it's not so much a function of fertility as, you know, this is what I always say too, it's it's a function of health, and what we're doing in our society, unfortunately, ages us quicker than we really should age. You know, in in Chinese medicine, we say a woman should be able to conceive until she's 49 years old. So that's that's our theory. But that's if she lives, as they say, in accordance with the Tao, um, as in the Tao Te Ching. So that means she's living in accordance with nature, and she's, you know, her emotions are balanced, and her sleep is balanced, and she's not, you know over drinking or overeating or, you know, anything like that. It's it's very natural, you know, almost like you were living, you know, in on a farm somewhere in the middle of nowhere with less little technology and you could probably maintain your fertility into your late forties, early fifties, but that's not really common these days. I can help yeah. a woman, you know, as I say, like fight you know, fight the aging process or even go against the aging process. I, I always say like following my plan that I have laid out in the book, 
um, buys you more time. You know, a lot of women are worried about getting older, like waiting three months. Like three months seems like forever to a 40-year-old woman because she, she feels like time is running out for her. But but in my opinion, after adopting the lifestyle that I have laid out, you know, the diet and, and the lifestyle changes and supplements, et cetera, um, and the meditation and the positive thinking and changing belief systems, uh, you can really anti-age yourself and improve, you know, I think your cells and your body physiologically becomes younger and your cells become younger. And there's science, you know, the the field of epigenetics right now totally proves that theory. And that's something that Chinese medicine has been talking about for thousands of years. So it's really nice to see that there's now a branch of uh, Western science that agrees. Yeah. Let's spin into the whole mindset thing because that was the thing that, you know, I knew – I know you were an Abraham Hicks person when I was reading that. It's like she's got to be an Abraham Hicks person, but um, just changing the mindset. Um, you you said at the beginning that um, you don't say infertile; you say fertility challenge, and just those little things, those little nuances of mm-hmm. changing your perception. How important is that? Do you see with with the women that you work with? I think it's fundamental. Um, as I was saying earlier, I started I started this online coaching program and and it's four parts and, and I, two two of the parts are focused on emotions and one is nutrition and one is lifestyle. That's how important I think it is. I think it's at least fifty percent of of the challenge. And that's not to say because I, I know a lot of women will get defensive and think I'm saying that I think stress is causing their fertility challenges and that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that the emotional component is extremely important to address. And so when it comes to fertility, you know, I'll have women come in and they'll tell me they're infertile, right? You know, that's the word they use. They they check it off on, uh, you know, they write it in their little, you know, list of complaints on my new patient paperwork. And, I, you know, I always say, I say infertility means you're broken. And unfixable, you know, and I disagree with that because fertility, just like health, it, it can be changed. You know, it just it's just where you are on the spectrum. You're just having some challenges. There's just some kinks in the system that we need to work out. But you're not broken. You are fixable. So, you know, I, I say to women, you know, the first chapter of the book is I, one thing I ask you right now is you never use that word again. You don't say I'm infertile because, you know, thoughts, I believe thoughts become things and and you have, you know, and your mindset really influences your, your biology. It influences your behavior for sure, which then can influence your biology. So however you look at it, but you have to start to shift that mindset. And one thing I do with my coaching clients and even in the clinic is I have people start to pay attention to the things in their body that are working. Or when we change their diet that they say, oh, my digestion is so much better. And I say, okay, so see, see how your digestion can improve? your fertility can improve as well. You know, it's not like one day your your bowels just stop moving, right, and you're never going to go to the bathroom again because now they're broken. You know, that's just not how it works, right? Maybe you get a little constipated because you ate something you shouldn't have eaten or didn't agree with you, but you know it's going to come back. You know you're going to go again. If you don't, you, you know what I mean, like it's a serious problem and that's really unlikely to happen. So it's this, I want people to start thinking the same way about their fertility. It's not a switch that's on or off. It's it's just where you are on the spectrum and that, you know, the the reigning theme throughout the book is you have the power to change your health and improve your fertility. And to hand that back over, because what I see is women just feel so disempowered. They feel 
hopeless. They feel lost. They feel at the mercy of their doctors and, and Western medicine. And so I really work with them to shift that. And I, and I see, I see not just changes in their fertility, but in their life. And that to me is, you know, awesome. I just love that so much. So it's like a fertile belief system, not, you know, and and fertile belief system in the sense of like abundance and flourishing and, you know, and, and reaching new levels in their life. And so everything starts to grow and blossom, not just the fertility, you know. Yeah. How important is it to express the emotions? Because I remember um, in one part of the book you were saying, uh, I can't remember the, the woman's name used in the book, but her husband and her husband's family were putting so much pressure on her to have a baby Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, then I think she ended up like leaving her husband and getting a yeah, divorce. Yeah, they got divorced. Yeah, they yeah. Got but divorced. how how important is it to express those emotions and and kind of transform those emotions? Uh, I think you mentioned specifically things like fear, um, fear, despair. sorrow, trauma. Yeah, you yeah. know, extremely important. So you know, in in Chinese medicine, one of the my favorite parts of the medicine is that. Every organ, you know, like your spleen or your lungs or your liver, all has an emotional correlate, you know. So um, spleen's negative emotion is, is worry and the liver is anger and, and, you know, the heart is sorrow. And and so you, you need to get those emotions back in balance, too. If you're experiencing too much of any emotion, even the good ones, it can be negative. It can negatively affect your health. And so we have to get those back in balance. But what we tend to do you know, it's just ingrained in us. I think it's cultural, it's societal. Um, we suppress our emotions. We don't express them. And we see that in Chinese medicine, it's almost like a compost pile. Like you keep just piling stuff on top of it and on top of it. And eventually it it goes up in flames, you know, and it's like <laughs> you just kind of implode, if you will, you know. And mm-hmm. so that creates a lot of stagnation and, and heat and uh, disharmony in the body. And that leads to disease. And so, so, you know, I can see that. Like in that client you were talking about, I sensed it right away. I mean, she was coming to me to try to get pregnant because she wasn't getting pregnant, but I just sensed this real level of, like, unhappiness. I mean, she was just unhappy. And so that's part of my, you know, sneaky detective work, if you will, you know, where I start to then just talk to her emotionally, let her open up. Like it becomes a counseling session. Like let her talk to me. And, like, all of a sudden it starts to unravel. And next thing you know, we don't even want to get pregnant. She's going to leave her husband, you know. And so, you know, and we, you know, and, and, you know, play on words, but we gave birth to a new life for her, you know, and then she'll go on and have children with somebody else, you know. But but the emotions play an extremely important role. Um, I think, you know, like I was saying, I think it's at least 50% of the game. Yeah, because you have a lot of people, uh, I think you use the example that you had women who were walking around and seeing other people pregnant and they would get jealous or they would hate those mm-hmm. women because yeah. they were pregnant and, and they can't get pregnant because they hate and, pregnant. You know, yeah, that, like I always say, like that's, it, it's okay to feel that way it is because you want that so bad. You know, it's like, you know, I don't want to go into Abraham talk because I'll confuse other people maybe, but, you know, it's like that you, you're on the lackful side of the, of the equation, right? You know, you want it so bad that, you're keeping it away and then everybody else who has it, you're getting jealous. What I try to get, you know, my coaching clients, especially this was part of our conversation last night too and, and in the clinic all the time, is I want you to look at those girls and see them pregnant 
and get so excited because there's fertility happening everywhere. Like people get pregnant all the time. Like start to focus on that. Like look at it happens to her and it happens to him. And, you know, I mean him and her, you know, like that, that couple and, and they went through challenges and they got pregnant, you know, start to focus on the stories that, that are working, not the stories that aren't working. Right. So just to shift your mindset just ever so slightly, you know, to the other side of the coin basically and seeing what is working versus, you know, focusing on all the things that aren't working. And it's okay to get angry once in a while. It's okay to, it's okay to have negative emotions, of course, you know, as, as, you know, Darren and mine's uh, teacher says, she says, even if you're just experiencing joy 55% of the time, that's better than, than, you know, experiencing anger 55% of the time, like just a little bit more than 50% would really make a big difference in your life. And so, you know, I just try to get my clients to really focus on that and shift because typically they're they're very stressed out and they're very depressed and they're very sad and and if they've had miscarriages they're very traumatized and you know and and they want nothing more than to have this baby. But my thing is is I want to really realign their energy, you know, emotionally and physically, so that when they do get pregnant, that the child inside their body is is enveloped in their positive and happy emotions, right? You know, not not these negative, fearful emotions, because I think that does affect the baby. And I want to, you know, I'm in the business of bringing healthy babies into healthy, happy homes, you know. Um, so so we have to address the emotional component. And, and that's, I can't work with people that, that aren't willing to go there. Just, they don't jive. We don't jive. And actually, they don't even come to me anymore, you know. They're not, they're not we're not in alignment, so it's fine. But, um, you know, I don't just try to get girls pregnant. I really try to shift their health and their mentality and, you know, their, their physical, uh, body and, and then fertility, fertility follows. Yeah. That that mind thing is so, so very important. Um, you said that fertility starts in the brain. And before I ask the question, if there, if you're out there listening and you have a question for Amy, you can call in 646-716-9371, 646-716-9371. But, Amy, you said it actually starts in the brain, and you gave a diagram in the book on... Um, oh, the hypothalamus, yeah, okay. Yeah, hypothalamus and pituitary and the ovaries. And I had a question for you with regard... Well, actually, two questions. Um, you said for a follicle-stimulating hormone, and in the book mm-hmm. you stated that... If you're if you go and you have this tested follicle stimulating hormone is high, don't really worry about that. Tell us why. Well, so when I first started practicing, the FSH or follicle stimulating hormone was considered the gold standard for testing ovarian reserve. So basically, um, your FSH gave you an indicated indicated how many eggs you had left, right? And so. Doctors typically want to see an FSH below 10, 10, 10 or under. Mm-hmm. 11, 12, okay, but really 10 or under. Um, and that gives us an idea that there's a, a good amount of, of eggs left in your ovaries. And then over the years, less and less doctors were using that as their gold standard because what we started to realize was FSH changes from cycle to cycle. It's not static by any means. And it's also dependent on how much estrogen is in the body. So you always have to test it on cycle day two or cycle day three with, with cycle day one being the first day you bleed to get a, a, an accurate reading. But what what was noticed was that it was shifting from month to month and it could be pretty extreme shifts. You know, it could be a five, one month and a 25 the next month. And 
you know, and doctors used to say at one point, oh, you're only as good as your highest FSH. So what that meant was, you know, the higher the FSH means the lower ovarian reserve. But then they just started to realize that other influences, mainly estrogen, would could shift the FSH. And But if they looked at another test that, looks at ovarian reserve, which is called your antral follicle count, where they actually go in on an ultrasound and they can see how many follicles are, are brew, like brewing in your ovary that are maybe going to get recruited to get ovulated. Um, they didn't always match up because typically if you had a high FSH, you would have maybe only a few antral follicles, and that wasn't always the case. So then they developed this new number, the AMH, which is called the so the FSH basically because it involves the hypothalamus, the pituitary, the ovarian axis, it's much more influenced by other hormones in the body. So they've realized that it's not such a, a, a good standard for measuring ovarian reserve. There's another test now called AMH, which is anti-malarian hormone, which is secreted by the ovaries. So it's not involved in that whole hypothalamus, pituitary, ovarian axis. And so it's a little more static and a little, it's a better representation of ovarian reserve. Yeah, and uh, the second question for you, and my brain works like this. I come from the pharmaceutical industry. But from reading that chart and reading everything, I noticed that um, you drew a diagram and you had the estrogen and progesterone. And my -hmm. question is, a lot of I have a lot of friends who are into natural medicine, the medical community, and one thing that you see with a lot of women now is low progesterone levels. Yeah. So if the the low if they have those low progesterone levels, could that be a mechanism for uh, a miscarriage if they're if the the progesterone oh, sure. levels aren't up there? Sure. Okay. Sure. We we need estrogen to be high in the first part of the cycle in the follicular phase. Estrogen. Um, basically feeds the follicles to grow, right, and make them nice and juicy and plump. And then um, and it feeds the uterine lining to get it nice and thick so that once you do ovulate and an embryo form from an egg meat, you want a nice thick endometrial lining so that they can it can live in there and have a nice amount of blood to feed it to grow. But after you ovulate, then progesterone should become the dominant hormone. And progesterone helps basically maintain the uterine lining, helps hold it in there once it's formed. And then it also um, is secreted by, it's called the corpus luteum. So after that follicle ruptures and the egg comes out from the ovary, the the follicle that ruptured that's now without an egg, it, it sits there and it actually secretes some progesterone as well. Um, and that helps you know, if there's implantation, if an embryo implants in that lining, that helps maintain that that lining as well. And so, so hope that the the hope is is that the corpus luteum along along with your internal progesterone helps hold that pregnancy. But if we are low in progesterone, um, yes, it could be a reason for a miscarriage because basically it's not that the embryo isn't healthy; it's that the lining can't be maintained, and basically like the embryo falls out almost. Yeah, when I was reading that, I just clicked in my brain, and I had to to ask that. Um, let's get into the three vital substances of traditional Oriental medicine because I thought that was uh, really great, and I had no, I, I know nothing about acupuncture, but <laughs> the way that it the way that it was explained in the book, it made total sense. So, can you explain that to to the audience? 
Sure. So I think, right, we talked about qi, blood, and, and jing, right, or essence. Mm-hmm. That's what I talk about in the book. Um, so, you know, to be very brief and to not do my medicine any injustice, you know, but um, I could go on about it for hours and, and sometimes it deserves that. But so qi, we look at it as a, as a vital substance. Qi is basically our energy to function. It the um, the Chinese symbol for chi is basically the steam that rises from rice as you cook it. So if you can get a picture in your head of like chi is kind of like this steam. It's like a vapor, and it gives us energy. It's our life force. But chi can't exist without blood. And so blood and chi, you know, um, one is the mother of the other, and and you know they they are they're codependent substances. And blood is blood, you know, we all know what blood is. But we see blood um, and chi as both being formed from the nutrition that we take in. So you you can build blood and chi through, through your nutrition. You can also ruin it from your nutrition. You can also ruin it from your lifestyle. If you're not sleeping enough or, you know, taking good care of your body, you'll deplete your blood and your chi. And then there's this substance called jing, which is also called essence. That's the translation for jing um, from Chinese to to um, English. And essence is basically the sub like it's kind of like our genetic foundation. It's like what we're born with, what like mom and dad give us. So there's two kinds of essence. There's prenatal, which basically is our genetic foundation, what our parents gave us, and then and what we also um, you know, get some of that in utero. And then there's postnatal, which our our life, we build our postnatal essence. So we can actually, we can build our jing, we can build our chi and our blood through like our nutrition and a healthy lifestyle. And in the same token, we can, we can deplete it. So in Chinese medicine, bringing harmony and balance and fighting disease is all about getting those three substances into, you know, um, balance and, and helping them flourish. And often when you're working with fertility clients, you know, there's typically a blood problem because maybe the blood is kind of old and stale. It doesn't have enough chi in the body, if you will. It's not circulating properly. Um, There might be a jing issue, which means that we're aging faster than than we should. Um, There's there's usually a chi issue or maybe they're, you know, low energy or sometimes low progesterone translates to a low chi issue. I mean, to be very, very, very bland, uh, what's the word, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, very basic information. Mm-hmm. Like, a chi deficiency could be a progesterone deficiency. Sometimes an estrogen deficiency is a blood deficiency, but I'm being very gener- general when I say that. And and sometimes an age issue is a jing issue, you know. So, so we, we work to just bring those back into balance. And acupuncture helps by improving the circulation of chi and blood. Acupuncture cannot add to your blood to the body. The only way you can do that is through your your diet and your lifestyle. So that's my favorite part of, of how Chinese medicine works is that acupuncture is just one modality. And then there's, you know, we use a lot of herbs. We love our Chinese herbs. that help, Those help build chi, blood, and jing. And we love, you know, nutrition that really helps build qi, blood, and jing, and, and lifestyle, and qigong, and exercise, and meditation. All of those things together really help build those substances, and, that, and that's what we try to teach our clients to do. 
Yeah. Speaking of diet, you mentioned that, and I wanted to get into that next. And I had one more question for you. I don't want to keep you too too much longer, but um, sure. diet. Uh, obviously, everybody's everybody knows the importance of diet. I mentioned um, before you came on how I went to see people speaking. I was present. Yeah, the ketogenic. I was listening. Yeah, everybody. It was a ton of people there, and it's like everybody's getting more into the health and, and wanting to be healthy now. So obviously, we know that diet is important, especially when you're trying to get pregnant. Give me mm-hmm. the, uh, your favorite foods for getting women to that point where they can be be more fertile? Eggs, pastured eggs with the yolk, mm-hmm. butter, butter or ghee from grass-fed cows, liver, organ meat, liver. Um, and then I would also add in bone broth, so I'll, I'll have top four. Um, but all of them are extremely nutrient-dense, obviously animal-based protein sources, Loaded with, you know, essential fatty acids, um, you know, fat-soluble vitamins that we need for hormone balance, like vitamins A and D and K um, and E. Uh, liver is my, I call it my secret weapon to fertility. It's the most nutrient-dense food that exists, and it's got good saturated fat, which one of the things we need to improve hormone balance and, and particularly egg quality in women is fat. As the eggs age, they get more rigid on the outside and the outside of the egg is made up of fat. And so you need to eat more fat to improve the quality of your eggs. So even things like avocado or nuts. But but I love, um, you know, butter and I love, I love the fat in the liver and I, you know, I love the gelatin in the bone broth. All of those things are extremely important to give us all the nutrients that we need so that we can create the healthiest and best quality eggs and, and you know, balance hormones and uterine lining and, you know, really healthy reproductive system. Yeah. When you and that are... goes for men, too. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you that because when you are actually um, working with the client and getting them to change their diet so they can finally get pregnant, um, how long should they wait after initially changing the diet and you get them on liver and get them on bone broth, which I love, and, and um, then they then you give them how long to get pregnant. What's the duration? Should they wait a month or two months or how uh, long before they start trying? I'd say, oh, you know, a lot of women will come to me and they're already in the midst of it, so I let them try while we're making the changes. Ideally, yes. I would love a preconception plan and we would do this for three to six months and then get on the, you know, on the trying part. But most women, you know, it's about a three to six month time frame where you really start to see the shifts happen and then pregnancy. You know, like I just had a case and she's 40 and they've been trying, I think, for like six months before she met me. And she's been with me for, this is her third menstrual cycle and she's on the plan and she's really into it. And she had some other things going on. She had, like, some rosacea and some gastrointestinal issues and, you know, other signs that her body was telling me she was pretty inflamed. And um, all of her, you know, rosacea and gastrointestinal symptoms got better, and she's pregnant this month, you know, and it's three months mm-hmm. in, and it's, it's freaking awesome. Um, yeah. But, yeah, usually I see that. I mean, it can take other women longer. If, if we are really following the plan and really on it, and it's like six or nine months, and it's not happening. 
I usually encourage further testing, you know, to just see what else is going on. Not that you have to do anything, but I like to collect information. That's the science geek in me. You know, I like to see maybe maybe there's something I'm missing, you know. Like, like I was talking about the natural killer cells. I had a girl with, you know, habitual miscarriages and, um, you know, she really followed the plan and everything was going really well and we got pregnant and she miscarried again. And, and that, in my opinion, shouldn't have happened because we had everything aligned, but, you know, I sent her to this one doctor that does all this autoimmune stuff, and uh, mm-hmm. her natural killer cell count was so extremely high, and, and he said it was just the endometriosis. He said it's been there for so long, like, what you've done is treated it, but it still needs, she would need a year on this diet before that count would go down, you know, and it had only been, like, four months, you know, so some cases just take longer, and, um, and you know, now I can work with him, and we can do a couple Western meds, and you know, they do these uh, intralipid infusions now, which is basically fat. It's really cool, and it calms the immune system. And now we'll try to get pregnant, and I'm sure it'll stick, you know. So so sometimes, you know, I'm working in conjunction, and, and other times, right, we're just doing all the natural stuff, and, and it works. Yeah. Strange you mentioned that because I remember doing an interview. I think I did an interview last year um, when we were talking about gluten, and I remember, um, I can't remember my God's name right now, but... Um, he mentioned how gluten actually lowers those natural, the natural killer cells that we have uh, within our body. And I know from your book, you mentioned that celiac or getting tested for celiac can be big when it comes to fertility because there's a lot of women out there who may have celiac disease with sensitivity to gluten and they don't, they don't even know it. So big, that's big. And my yeah. opinion is don't even get tested. Just take it out of your diet. It's so yeah. toxic yeah. anyway. You know, just remove it. Unless we were living in Europe, I, w- I would have a different opinion. But what we do to the, you know, to the to the wheat in this country, it's just loaded with pesticides and toxins. And and then the genetic modification, you know, um, I think you're better off just not touching it. But what I'll do is I'll just have someone remove it for, you know, I'll, I'll say give me two solid weeks, no gluten, see how you feel. And most of the time they feel world better. They see changes in their periods. I see ovulation. They haven't seen it for months, you know. And and so I just say, okay, no more gluten for you. If I know that they have an autoimmune condition, like a pre-diagnosed autoimmune condition, especially like autoimmune thyroid disease, there's absolutely no gluten in their diet. No gluten, no soy, no dairy. You know, it, you have to be really strict with it. But um, if it's just something I suspect and they don't have any diagnosis of anything, then I'll just pull it and just, you know, we'll go with like subjective feelings. Yeah, I'm I'm gluten sensitive myself, and I never. T- Me I too. Yeah. Yeah, I just knew that it was something wrong when I ate gluten, and I took it out my diet, and later on, that was confirmed. But um, the other question is just a continuation from that question: is when the woman changes her diet, should the husband change his diet as well, just to make sure that when it this does happen, that both of them are healthy? Yes. Absolutely, okay. yes. At the very least, get them on the supplements with you, but yes. And just don't have the other food available even in the house because then you're tempted. You know, I think it's, it's the best way to support your partner is to do the diet with them. And then, like I, like you just said, and, and like I always say, like I want to bring a, a healthy baby into a healthy, happy home, and, and that has to do with diet as well, you know. Yeah. Last question, Amy, and I saved the best one for last. 
why <laughs> is it why is it important to have hot sex and have an orgasm if you are uh, trying to get pregnant? Well, and you know, I say that because most girls come to me and, and they're having ovulation sex, which is timed, honey, I'm ovulating sex, you know, put <laughs> get it over with and leave your deposit, you know. Yeah. And and men really don't do well with that. And I think it's unfortunate and I think it does damage to your marriage or your partnership. Um, men want to provide, they want nothing more than to get their woman pregnant, you know, if, that, if that's what's on, on the uh, agenda. And um, you don't want to have this forced sex. And, and it's like a double-edged sword because I know you have to have sex around ovulation, but I, I always say to women, you know, I think it's best to not tell your husband when you're ovulating. Um, they might have a clue, but don't bring it up. Don't be like, oh, I just got the positive, you know, peak fertility today. Like, it's so much pressure on them. Um and I think besides all that, babies are made out of love. And that that's my opinion. You know, I want that passion. You know, it doesn't have to be like the sexiest sex of your life, but like I want you to feel passion and love for your partner and create a life out of that. You know, because I, if we're talking energetics, which I do believe that there is such a strong energetic piece to all of this, then... Um, you know, the, the the feeling that you're feeling between you and your, your partner is really important when you're trying to create a life. And and then also we say in Chinese medicine, you know, the, the orgasm and the act of, like, hot, fun sex brings a lot of joy to both partners, but and especially the woman. And, and that joy, we say, there's a connection between joy is the emotion that's uh, connected to the heart. And the heart has a very special connection to the uterus and so when there's a lot of joy in the heart it really just kind of almost like penetrates right into the uterus and it makes it a really happy hospitable place and so the orgasm really helps open that up and and allow you know the joy to come flushing in but also allow you know a beautiful place for for a life to begin yeah um Anything we might have left out that you think is, is important? You see women on a daily basis who are uh, going through these fertility uh, challenges. Is there anything that you want to say that we might have left out? I just would say, you know, don't don't give up hope. If if you're tuning into this, you know, it means you still have hope. And and one thing I do always ask women is, you know. Quiet your mind. You know, if you if you meditate, it's a great time to ask this question. Is right after you meditate, but take a couple deep breaths and quiet your mind, and just ask yourself: Do you believe that you are going to have this child? You know, do you believe you're going to get pregnant? And if the answer is yes, you know, then 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 continue on with that hope, because I I think deep down you know what your answer is, you know, and um, just keep searching till you find what works for you. Yeah, and you mentioned coaching, uh, and I know you have a website. Give us the, if they oh, want to yeah. get in contact with you for coaching and they want to, you know, start working with you, how would they do that? Sure, my um, my website is amyralph.com, and you can find all the information on, on coaching and my, my clinic there. And my book is Yes, You Can Get Pregnant. You can get that on Amazon. There's also a website that goes with the book. It's yesicangetpregnant.com, but... That might be confusing. So amyrop.com, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram as well. And, yeah, I'm here to help. So reach out if you if you want some more help. And it's yeah. A-I-M-E-E, 
R-A-U-P-P dot com. Yeah, I was going to say that because when I first heard of you, I, I went in and I tried to spell you in A-M-Y, and I'm like, I can't find her. So yes. Amy, A-I-M-E-E. So if you're out there mm-hmm. and you want to find her or just type in the book, Yes, You Can Get Pregnant, Google it, and I'm sure the information will come on. Amy, I yes. enjoyed it. I, I love the book. I think that um, oh, I'm, not, I'm not a woman. But just the mindset stuff in there, it really clicked with me because I know that uh, I really try to live by those principles of changing how I perceive things to make my life a a little bit better. And I think that that's big. And I think a lot of women out there who might be suffering from these issues should definitely go and pick your book up. And it's on Amazon, available on Amazon, I would think, and all other book out. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much. I really Oh, thank you, Darren. That. Keep up the good work. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Have a good evening. Okay. You too. All right. Bye. All right. That's a that was a really good show. And um like I said, me and Amy have in common that I've been uh I studied Abraham Hicks. You might want to look you know, some of that stuff up uh, when it comes to just mindset and, and making your life a little bit uh, easier. And, um, again, go pick the book up. The book is definitely a good book, a lot of good information in there. We didn't even touch on uh, she gives you a pretty good diet plan in there if you are, you know, hour by hour what you should be eating and tests that you might want to ask the doctor for. And, again, you can get in touch with Amy if you need some coaching, if you're having uh, some type of fertility uh, challenges. So well worth the read and well worth getting in touch with Amy to, to get that coaching. A lot of times they think that we don't get that coaching. We think that we can go on our own, and uh, sometimes that's not always the best thing. You can reach out to someone who's kind of seen more than you've seen and kind of coach you through that. It's always good. Uh, good show coming up next week. Um, my friend from Fort Lauderdale, will be on, uh, I think I mentioned on Monday show, me, myself, and food, about changing your mindset with food. There's a lot of issues out here with people have with food, addicted to food. Some people are not eating because they're afraid that they're going to gain weight. So we'll be discussing some ideas with Diana Hunter uh, with getting food in check, so to speak. And then Wednesday will be Julia Ross. We'll talk about the mood cure. So if you know someone who might be suffering from mood disorders, depression, things of that nature, um, Julia does some great stuff um, regarding that and how to help get into a better mood if you're having uh, mood issues. And we were supposed to do this show uh, maybe a, a year ago, and my Internet went down. I was having some crazy problems with the Internet. They came out like four or five times for the um, the internet and finally decided to run a new cable in here and everything's been fine uh, ever since. But I remember when that was happening and I was so PO'd about it. But uh, Julia's coming back and we'll be talking about the new cure on uh, Wednesday. And then I believe the first Monday in February, I'll have uh, Dr. Raymond Francis on. If you've listened to the other show, go back. You may want to go back and listen to that um, never be sick again. That's one of my. I think that was my second show I ever I, I, I did ever on the podcast, and people are still listening to that show now. Very good show, and he'll be back to discuss his newest book, The Great American Health Hoax. So hope you'll tune in for those two as well. Again, if you can go to iTunes, 
Give me a review in there. I'm on Stitcher as well. If you can, I don't know if you can do reviews on Stitcher, but if you can, go to Stitcher and give me a review and just connect with me on social media. Gave that at the beginning of the show. Thanks for listening. See you Monday, same fat time, same fat channel. Peace and love, y'all. I'm out.